Wardcast episode 204, go! I'm Dylan Vento, and today I'm joined by Joseph Noop, the new host over at the 1099 and weekend web producer at IGN. How are you doing, Joseph? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I am good. How is the LA heat? Uh, it's funny. When I moved here, like June 1st, it was actually super overcast and kind of chilly. Uh, I was able to wear like a cardigan one day, and as soon as I leave Illinois, it became... It, it became like mega hot in Illinois, like melting cars in Illinois. And now finally that we're like in the dead of what, August? Um, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I am sweating through every pair of jeans and like washing them twice and uh, melted melted dogs and cats on the street when I take Bella for a walk. It's uh, It was kind of murderous at E3. I was not a fan. Yeah, uh, thankfully, it's that's one of those shows that like you can kind of uh, uh, hang out in the show floor most of the day. Although, yeah, there, were, Aiden and I would walk to IGN's War Room, which was not located on the general premises. It was like a couple of blocks northwest or something, and you had to walk like under the highway to get there. And uh, it's like, yeah, just sweating through my pits before I walk into this room with all my bosses. Don't mind me. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, I forget where we got our Airbnb. It was like eight to 10 blocks away from the convention center, but I only brought jeans and then and dress shirts. I was like, well, this was a mistake. <laughs> I'm going to have to live with this mistake. But, uh, so how are things going? How is, how is the, the ship 1099? Uh, hasn't sunk yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I've had, I think, two weeks where I wasn't able to get an episode up either because of like, post-con death uh, i worked all of comic-con and i worked all of e3 uh the weird the weird mix of it is um in in the time since i've taken the show over uh my freelancing with ign pc gamer daily dot what have you uh has only increased i i've become like you said the weekend web producer at ign so i'm working weekends uh, I am doing a lot of SEO stuff for PC Gamer, helping them get those precious clicks, and Daily Dot trying to do you know weird, wackier stories and a lot of other SEO stuff. So like full days, uh, and I have to fight for like Thursdays and Fridays off and whatnot. Um, uh, but thankfully, I've been able to at least kind of keep up for the most part. And uh, you know, it's funny like looking back at Josiah's like 200 episodes uh, prior to me. Well, probably like yeah, 200 something prior. He he ha- he certainly had his big names like Greg Kasavin or you know the Greg Miller or da 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 and all the games media names and I've had to strike out a little differently and maybe angle more for more developer interviews or people like in games culture as opposed to games media because he's basically covered damn near everybody and uh, of course those people will move on to different things and maybe we can retouch uh, subjects with them but uh, there's only so many times you can do the episode about like how did you get into games media how did this how, how do you succeed here with games media uh, so I've wanted to do more talking to developers and trying to get uh, smaller but plenty meaningful conversations this uh when this episode goes up on monday uh similarly we will have a 1099 episode going up with richard rouse uh the third who directed designed and wrote the church in the darkness game yeah we were talking pre-recording about how uh uh our um mutual colleague mike footer uh when he was on the hidden gems panel he showcased that game which was the first time i heard of it and yeah it's i've been kind of watching the the trajectory of that game like kind of go up and up for it from it being like self-published to fellow traveler starting to publish it and kind of it, it kind of fits the wheelhouse of fellow traveler since they've rebranded themselves as such to like the the more narrative like kind of artsy out there focus games and um it, well the, the game like as we were talking pre-recording i wouldn't give the game like this the highest score in the world uh but narratively you know it, it's a very unique inventive game you're infiltrating this cult and trying to rescue your uh brother and it plays around with like roguelike mechanics where every time the cult is a little bit different and um uh really got to dive into like the the real world cult history that influenced the game and uh touch on a lot of those topics and how pop media cults have also influenced it and it's interesting how you you 
I feel like there's this this shift both on the the game dev side, but also on the game games media side, since you and I can kind of talk to both of those ends. And uh, as games and especially indie games have propagated and gotten more experimental and out there games media has had to adjust that so like you talk about it's like well this is you know if we were going to give it a score uh this is what i i'd give it um but now we're kind of in this this nebulous kind of changing both changing of the guard i guess but also changing of like mindset so like you know a popular example is how like oh polygon doesn't do review scores anymore right right um and i'm curious what you've seen kind of in any discussions or anything like from your end from being more in games media of any kind of like shifting sands shifting mindsets from that um well working working most closely with ign and pc gamer um and daily dot i i haven't done too many reviews for daily dot in the last four months here since moving but um i think those are certainly places that will still uh rely on scores to to put it numerically right but i think pc gamer uh is doing a great job in terms of like exploring the culture around a game and examining its life beyond you know release date which used to be a, a huge problem for games media a game would come out it would get a week of coverage maybe and then it would fall away and if it got a community that's great but you're not going to find it on like a games media site that has to live or die by the new hot stuff um, so of course you have, uh, writers like Steven Messner or Lauren Morton, who are really great at covering like MMO communities, uh, and the way that those games have evolved. And even now at IGN, I think they, with, um, JR and Lucy O'Brien, uh, manning their features team, they're doing a lot of good stuff in terms of, Hey, let's revisit this old thing. Um, I'm, I'm trying desperately to write something about Witcher 1, uh, which you know was like a 2007 game, uh, and there are other examples like that where like it may not necessarily hit the tippy top of the site, like you know Call of Duty review just now released, uh, but it's it's there and it's worth seeking out, and I'm glad that they're uh, allowing a platform for that. Also, got a 20 year retrospective of the Tony Hawk Pro Skater series going up uh, hopefully this month with uh, with with interviews with Mr. Tony Hawk himself. <laughs> Oh, Mr. Hawk. Yes, the the Mr. Anthony Hawk, yes. Mr. Anthony Hawk, uh, owner of probably one of the best Twitter accounts out there. Yes. It's just him saying like, hey, I go outside and people go, you, you look a lot like Tony Hawk. It's like, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's weird, right? Why, why, do, you, why do people get that idea? <laughs> that's, that's funny. It, it, I also like how, so you're talking about how Josiah kind of already put the stakes in the ground, planted the flags of like, all right, here's like the games media landscape. And you feel like you have to, you have to kind of, uh, blaze your own trail with, uh, the indie dev side. Do you, how do you do that scoping? Because I feel like there's a lot of, you know, higher profile indie games that kind of come out. Like I, like I remember when everyone was looking at, um, Oh no, I'm blanking out on the name. It's the one that has a very, uh, uh, art style, very similar to Mobius. It's kind of like a, going across sands a very kind of sci-fi uh uh cel-shaded aesthetic i forget what oh the... uh not mobius but a sable sable that's what i'm thinking of um like i feel like sable's like uh, uh profile raised and i and then i saw like soon after that uh josiah did an interview with the developers of that is that is that how you're kind of tackling it now or are you trying to go uh you know a little bit deeper see like the more like you know um, yet to be showcased, yet to be highlighted games? Like, how, how are you seeking those out? I wish I could say I have time to give it that much thought. It's honestly, like, it's a matter of what's who's actually going to talk to me um, and uh, ha- has it been beaten to death? Like, of course, I don't want to... I don't want to interview someone about something that, like, I know, you know, Tony Hawk's been interviewed about the series a million times before uh, as a uh, unrelated example, but... Uh, like I'll be talking to Rooster Teeth Games hopefully next week about their new game and maybe trying to talk about like the lessons that they learned from uh, Bendy and the Ink Machine. I, I worked at a Barnes and Noble store uh, when they were selling the Bendy toys. I'm like, Jesus, this blew up. Uh, but it's mainly just like, hey, if I can have a conversation that matters, 
let me do it. And sometimes it's not even necessarily like someone who made the game. Um, uh, for example, of course, I, I did uh, Dmitry Gluhovsky, the author, original author of the Metro series, uh, that you know, Metro uh, 2033 and uh, Last Light and Exodus are based on. And that was mainly a, a talk all about like Russian politics. Uh, and that's a topic that's certainly been broached to him before. You can find like YouTube interviews with him, but it's more like, hey, we're at E3 and we happen to have the author of the Metro books here and they'll give like five minutes to that subject. And if you've ever met a man like Dmitry Glukhovsky, you know that man can talk for a while uh, really eloquently and really passionately about how much he hates Putin. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I want to have that. I want, even if it's a game that's already out, if someone says, man, like, okay, maybe the game isn't the be all end all, but I wish we could talk about it a little more to examine like why it matters. Uh, and hopefully I have many of those conversations or in the case where I am talking to games media, uh, I'm trying to wrangle, um, the lovely Terry Schwartz from IGN. Uh, once she gets back from vacation, that is kind of like, okay, here's, she's the editor in chief of IGN Edit uh, entertainment, not the games side. And, that I think would be an interesting conversation in and of itself of like, how do you, how do you organize and run a show like that at Comic-Con or uh, uh, balance that with the needs of the games community of IGN? Because there's always this internal and external war of, do we have enough gaming content up top? Do we have enough entertainment content up top? Because it's the summer and there's so much entertainment content uh, just blowing through, you know, PR inboxes. Yeah, I, 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 I can. It's hard for me to imagine how sites with like multiple verticals handle that. And and Daily Dot, I, I don't read a lot of Daily Dot. Daily Dot has a dedicated gaming vertical. Yeah, or is it all okay? It's um, it, it's listed as Parsec, so it's like geek culture, and it's a little bit of gaming, um, and it's a lot of bit of uh, Hollywood. And interestingly enough, uh, former guest and friend of mine, uh, Anna Valens, she oh, she, she's great. I love her. She's great. She's a wonderful person, and um, she just got hired on as like a uh like sex culture reporter or something to that effect. So you're gonna see a lot more of her writing as it relates to like alternate sex games or um hey this game this popular game does something really interesting uh in terms of its own sexuality or sexual identity uh or you know commentary on stuff like that so i'm glad that they that that's finding a a, a platform because <laughs> i almost got let go from that job shortly after my original editor left and they were like we don't know how gaming content is really doing for us and i'm like i just quit my day job please don't fire me <laughs> Yeah, that seems like the uh, the constant looming threat. I mean, obviously, media across the board uh, is is dealing with this. I forget what there is. There is some publication that just announced they had to close their doors. It was it was a smaller one. I forget what the name of it was, but yeah. they had just basically like an angel investor was funding the entire operation, and they kind of pulled out. And that was like that was all she wrote, right? Yeah. And it's a sad commentary on the state of media and niche media and even generalist media. Um, too often, yeah, we're relying on, you know, imagine if uh, Jeff Bezos just had a crawl up his ass one day about Washington Post and decided no more funding, you know, uh, probably a place as big as Washington Post would be fine, but not for a lot of like mid to lower tier sites if they have an investor like that. And it can be a lot like, uh, apps or you know Silicon Valley startup culture of uh, or the like the, the the scooters and bikes I see here everywhere in LA which I love as a person who does not own a car I love those but it's a lot of companies who say give us three years to make this profitable and once that three year mark hits you know it's a it's a process of like continually proving over and over again that we're a, a profitable industry and thankfully I think. Uh, IGN has been doing pretty okay. I, I can't speak with any authority about that, but um, I know that like my opportunities there have grown, which is usually a good sign. Uh, and PC Gamer uh, is very proud. They very proudly tout their numbers after every E3 of like, you know, we just had the best selling month ever. So they've been on the up. So glad to see all that. And PC Gamer, do they still do a physical Hell yeah, uh, better believe it. Issue. Available awesome. on Barnes and Noble shelves everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I uh it's it's weird. I don't know if you saw that like that 
I, I, I think it was viral, semi-viral tweet. It was from a couple months ago, but it was this kind of a long thread talking about like where, how we got here with media in general and about how like, you know, local papers and, and semi-local papers were, were owned by, you know, single investors or like they were uh, part of a, uh, um, you know, family run business. And then all of these, they started consolidating and then also borrowing against the profitability of, of the, the paper. And because people argue about how it's like, oh, well, news doesn't make money. Media doesn't make money. It's like, actually it does. It's just the investors and the owners don't see the profits as high as they want them to be high enough margin. Yeah. It's the same thing with like Toys R Us didn't have to go out of business, but a, uh, I forget the exact term. I talked about it with Michael Pactor uh, three episodes ago, I think. And uh, yeah, the, the the margin wasn't high enough for them. So they basically sold off what they could and got out, even though the store was actually doing okay for like, it, right. it, it's a matter of, hey, maybe don't invest a trillion dollars in this because you know you're not going to get that much back. You right. Know. I mean, it, it's they want the highest possible gains. Like, right. you know, they they want they want year over year returns. Like, I mean, uh, Activision Blizzard just announced their their quarterly for Q two, and it's down year over year. But it's like it's still like one point three billion or something in revenue. Yeah. And it's like it's okay. It's down, but it's still you're still bringing in like nine zeros. It seems kind of ridiculous. Uh, and there has to be a breaking point with this, I would think. Yeah, hopefully, uh, I, I, a lot of it is, of course, tied up in politics and a lot of it is tied up in vulture capitalism. And uh, sadly, the best thing that places like IGN or PC Gamer or anywhere else could do is uh, uh, keep plugging away and keep making sure that people are coming back. Uh, so when the shit really hits the fan, you can walk into a, a meeting room, I suppose. I don't, again, I don't know how <laughs> this really goes in reality, but I, I imagine them going into a meeting room and having to prove like, hey, this is not a community you want to give up on. Uh, they are profitable and they are meaningful in some way. And with the 1099, you know, it's it's not a thing that I make money off of, but I, I see, I am lucky that Josiah, you know, spent three years building it up, of course. But I see that like every show, you know, start to hit that like 1,000, 2,000 download marker. And uh, <laughs> I'm just like, what? I there are that many people like at least clicking play and listening for a little while. That's that's amazing. I don't know a thousand people personally. So uh, I, I, I went to a Call of Duty preview event uh, here in L.A. last week. And was actually approached by two uh, fellow journalists working freelance, and they said that they were a fan of the 1099. I was like, "What? That's great!" So yeah, I get that. I get that obscurely every once in a while. I think it happened at GDC. I was just like, "Yeah, I run this podcast." It's like, "Oh yeah, I've heard of it." I'm like, "What? What? You wait, what? Exactly." Um, and that's good. I mean, I think that's. I know. I know. Josiah is like super busy now that he's he's working over at EA. Congrats again to him. Um, and I think, uh, glad that he wanted to keep it running, um, and, uh, handed the reins of hosting over to you. I know he still helps source guests and like with production stuff, I think he's, he's tweeted about before. And uh, so how did, how did that begin? Because it's, it's hard with a lot of popular like podcasts and gaming podcasts in particular, like usually it's hard for there to be like a smooth handoff of something like that. Right. Like there's usually like, there's, there's a leader, there's like a head host and if like if the head host is like nah i'm done then like that's it like that's the end of the tracks for for that show figuratively speaking uh josiah and i's relationship it's one of those things that like i can't remember the exact details but it was like tweeting out on uh, that like hey we're playing playing overwatch with the bros and i'm like oh cool do you guys need a fourth or something and Two years later, I'm I, I have like a high ranking in Mercy on Overwatch, mainly because of this group, right? Uh, him, his brother, and then their like high school friend, and uh, these are you know guys that I would I would consider brothers and and really good friends with them, and uh, uh, one of those things of like uh, would have been invited to the wedding of one of them if like it hadn't already if it wasn't like super super soon and all that crap. Uh, so, and I guess, you know, Josiah and I had a mutual respect having worked in games media. And at that time he had uh, transitioned over to, uh, Tan Gentleman who was making, uh, Here They Lie. And 
I think at a point, you know, I, I had been a guest on the podcast talking about like GDC and I think I was on like a game of the year uh, episode one year. And I think he just saw that like, hey, this is a person who like can make this happen week in and week out because that's one of the toughest things, of course, is what the, the true oh shit moment is when you get like a co-host or uh, uh, flaky guests, you know, who don't actually show up. Getting something out there, even in its imperfect state, once a week, every week, is super difficult uh, and is something to be commended. And that's something that I haven't always I, – I, I will take those two episodes I missed at 1099 uh, with me to the grave. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, had, I, feel, I, yeah. I had to do that because I was like, I'm going to die. Like, I'm, I'm going to, like, have a heart attack if I don't relax for a day. Uh, and it'll be fine. But, you know, I, I aim to not make a habit out of that. And I think Josiah could sense that. And at that point, you know, my freelance career, I had quit my day job and he saw that like, okay, he can, he can make this. And also it, Josiah, when he, he got his job at EA, uh, because of the 1099, or at least that's the way he tells it. Um, someone from EA listened to the show and kind of put his name in the pile and uh, a bunch of other, you know, relationships he had built through probably the here they lie team. Uh, it worked out and that's how he moved out to LA originally. And that's what brought us together. So uh, certainly if a built off of a friendship and built off of a mutual respect for work ethic, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel you entirely about the, um, the having to hit a, a weekly, a weekly deadline is is definitely like the major part of this. But it's also like I don't know. It's it's like you said about oh I missed two episodes. Like go take that to the grave. Like in the re- inverse, it's oh I am able to put out a a weekly piece of content that hundreds of people enjoy. Like that is that is something to be proud of and commend yourself over. Um, I fortunately don't have to get a guest every week. We do every other week a guest and then those in between weeks Lucky we do bastard. a local round table. Yeah. And I'm very fortunate that I have co hosts. It's like, all right, every other week we're we're here, we're gonna record it. Let's do it. Tell me when and where. I've uh um, I've been able to fall back on like my partner, um especially like during uh uh E three when like good luck getting an interview uh, or or having the time to do an interview and I know in the past, Josiah has certainly fallen back on like review episodes where we he gets like a friend and they talk about three games and call it a day. But uh, that's still time, effort, and and all that jazz. Do you look to because, like I said, I, I I focus a lot on devs, and, and you you're trying to focus more on devs with your version of the 1099. Um, have you looked at Glitch City or the local LA scene at all? Because I mean, there's there's obviously a lot of talented folks that are based out of there. Um, uh, very high profile names like Tay Deef's based out of there. Uh, Alex Preston. I mean, obviously they live together, so they're they're part of that Glitch City scene. Um, uh, the the uh, Dream Daddy devs are out of there. Game um, rooms? So, oh yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and I think I think that's that's fertile ground to yeah. like if you if if you ever want to like fall back on something like uh the having some local uh developers come in and and, and talk about the LA scene I think would be a, a a great opportunity. And those glitch city meeting meetups are always really cool too. That's cool. I, I haven't had the time to check that out, uh, having just like really moved here and having to, you know, get back into the groove of working. Um, I, I was involved a little bit with the Bitbash uh, event over in Chicago, which is a great time. And they, they've really built that event up really well over the last like four or five years. Uh, and I, I think the thing that I tell people to try and make myself feel cool is I've seen people say like, oh, I want to be the Indiana Jones of games journalism, or I want to be the the hardcore investigative reporter of, of games journalism. I think ultimately I would like to be the Anthony Bourdain of games media and just like, just take... Parts unknown yeah. of game journalism. Uh, I, I was just watching some episodes on Netflix uh, last night thinking like, of course, life cut too short, even for as old as he was. Um, but that was a guy who, like, he'll go and have dinner with the family. And, like, if they only get three minutes worth of footage out of that, that's no big deal. Because uh, they they set up a lot and they take their time. And, of course, you, you've got people like um, 
uh, cloth map, former giant bomb. Oh, uh, Drew Scanlon. Drew Scanlon, and you have uh, uh, <laughs> Danny O'Dwyer. Danny O'Dwyer. The other name Jesus say? Christ, yeah. blanking all day. <laughs> Uh, doing that and like going to different places and taking their time with the stuff like that. Uh, so I certainly, I certainly wouldn't be the first, but I want to be that. Yeah. Uh, no clip just tweeted out either today or yesterday. I forget how old the tweet is, but they were like, uh, okay, what should our next series be? And I was just like, all right, you need to do one. You should do a series on game dev communities and collectives because I know at least a half dozen off the top of my head. Bitbash is one. Uh, uh, glitch city is another, um, Run Jump Dev is a Kentucky one. We have RVA Game Jams here in Richmond, Virginia. There's um, there's Huegos Rancheros, which is out of Austin. Like I feel like you could do like a several part mini series on just like all right, we're going to this city, focusing on the collective here. We're going to the next city. Like there's there's hundreds of them across the United States and in Canada, and then across the world. And I feel like that people would love that because there's just so much interesting stuff happening in all these small little scenes that you know the games industry at large does not know about and that that's that stuff just needs that needs to be highlighted more nurtured and highlighted and and celebrated certainly and that's how that's how people in those communities who either don't have the access to you know a development community to like you know learn how to do stuff or like hone their hone their abilities or just people who want to appreciate like yeah what does chicago bring to something like this uh there's a lot of people who just don't know that it's out there and if you can celebrate those things more they they grow uh infinitely yes i agree i totally agree um and it would also help like uh who knows how many people there are in la or richmond or in chicago that don't know about you know, they want to make games, but they don't know how to start, and they don't know that there is a local exactly. community that could help. That could help push them to to start making stuff. Um, speaking of making stuff, the ESA has made a mess of things, <laughs> Joseph. As I, I will. Thank you. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. It wasn't my best, but I'll take it. Um, we kind of talked about this last week in my one of my local roundtables, uh, but the uh, the the ever present. E3 press leak doxing from 2019 continues to be uh, an issue at large. I don't know if you've talked to many people about it in games press. It uh, in the initial fallout, the like first 24 hours that all this information was beginning to uh, disseminate. Um, I I tweeted out shit. How do I figure out if if my name is on that list? Uh, if my follow up tweet, how do I change my identity? Exactly, like this, I just changed my username to Nosif Jupe. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I had like nine different colleagues and peers of mine um, say, like, "Hey, I, I found the list. You're on it." Uh, shit, and j- j- either general, you know, well wishing, like, "Hey, hope." You don't get robbed. <laughs> Godspeed. Bye bye. Uh, God, Godspeed. Yeah, uh, but a lot of a lot of colleagues were, you know, kind of Johnny on the spot, uh, looking through the list, making sure, like, okay, who is on here that I know? Do they know yet? And you know, at least notifying people so they can, uh, as quickly as possible, you know, change their passwords, two factor authentication, um, warn relatives, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I do know that uh, at least a couple of my colleagues have already, you know, received some very uh, strange, possibly threatening phone calls and whatnot. Um, I thankfully have not gotten anything strange yet, uh, although the the information that is in there certainly could result in some strange bad things happening uh, to me or people I care about. And yeah, generally a shit show. And it is my professional and personal hope that the ESA uh, reaps this something fierce. And how do you think that reaping is going to occur? Like what is, what is the ultimate fallout from this? And then like on a personal, cause I feel like like the, the most major fallout is this of this is, Oh, E3 is, is DOA. It's dead on arrival. Like for next year. Right. Like that could be a possibility after all the memories of what is the current state of E3 and like to follow that up. 
you know, if you had the option, like I obviously I know you work for outlets, so like this this decision might already been decided for you, but like would you go next year knowing what the how they handled your information? Right. Um it's it's funny. It po- you move to you move to Los Angeles so you can be closer to events like E three and then what the <laughs> fuck do they do to you? <laughs> uh Again, speaking as like a, a freelancer and not having any authoritative role with any of these publications, merely being you know a cog in the wheel, uh, I I would sincerely be worried if I were the ESA about like we say this every year. Uh, maybe next year won't be the year that E three dies, but like it's on the right path, and that on the right pathness has just jumped 10 spots uh yeah because the doomsday clock has has moved up like it's 10 minutes to midnight right. um we i talked a little bit about this with uh Khalif and Khalif adams uh who runs spawn on me great show and uh one of your collaborators for e3 mm-hmm. right uh-huh and you think about like companies like xbox uh xbox and slash microsoft uh, would, this past year because PlayStation was absent. Um, that's the biggest uh, fish to fry at an event like E3. I'm sure Oculus and uh, Ubisoft and EA are there, but they're like running their own separate events or they're not always beholden to that particular calendar. They might do a, a different event. What happens if PlayStation says two years in a row... Eh, we don't need E3. Uh, we're going to announce the PlayStation 5 at our own theater, at our own event. It'll be just as big. Uh, we'll give all the press, you know, advance warning and fly them out and all that jazz. What happens if Xbox is once again the only big fighter at E3 that year and you get a significant drop-off in journalists who say, like, yeah, you know what, like, we're here to cover PlayStation, Nintendo, and Microsoft. And like, we can go to Ubisoft's studios or like we can go to EA Play in Hollywood. Microsoft has a new console to announce next year or well, to like reveal and then, you know, release sometime next year. It's going to happen next year. There's no question about that. But what happens if their announcement gets deflated because there's fewer media attending or it's a tougher event for everyone to just like, you know, pull up their britches. That would be the real death knell, I think, because now you've not, you've not, it was huge shattering news. PlayStation is pulling out of E3. It doesn't need them this year. Right. Uh, yeah. Even though they like all those people are still there, like they were all still like right. <laughs> around the convention center, like so many people were there. They just didn't announce their presence. Business is business, you know, and um, and but you don't need E3 to go have a meeting, you know, uh, even though it's nicer to do it at E3 when there's just like every every coworker there. So, yeah, uh, Xbox getting a deflated reception to their new console and like falling behind the, the whatever the next PlayStation successor is again would just I think it would piss Microsoft off and um, on, on a business level that's just trouble. You saw a lot of um, there was there wasn't really reporting but a lot of discussion amongst journalists about the uh, public passes for e3 too. They, they announced at some point, like, hey, sold out all our public passes. You know, yay, gamers. Hope you enjoy the show. And if you get to walk the show floor, it's compared to the last two years when the public came, it's almost a ghost town by Sunday or whatever the final day is. And that, too, is you're not making as much money as you want off of those people. Uh, they're not bringing in money. There's not enough of them. The show floor is getting emptier and emptier, and uh, yeah, I, I, I would be scared if I were the ESA, and they've kind of brought it all on themselves. Is, I'm, I'm not sure like who the members of the ESA are. Is Microsoft like in that trade union? I would imagine. Group? Um, it's it, the most common, reasonable way to regard it is it's the industry lobbying arm. So Sony, Microsoft, uh, Nintendo, you have to imagine have, of course, a vested interest in having a lobbyist visit, you know, uh, Senator Smith. 
And that means, yeah, the ESA is are, is a pro-corporate entity. They're not a pro-consumer. They're not pro-media. Uh, they're certainly not helping in any reasonable way with the, uh, the Walmart and uh, uh, video game violence stuff that we'll talk about in a minute. But, uh, yeah. We, it, so you talked about like, you know, if, if Sony pulls out for a second year in the row, like how it has ripple effects and, you know, this was my first E3. So I was walking around and there's as much as there is, you know, the big build up in, in show offiness of like the, the, the developer and publisher side, like, I feel like there's equally as much, maybe a little bit less of of the media side so like gamestop or gamespot had that huge like line thing outside with like the the little like bar and everything that had the stage like did you see that thing on like the astroturf or whatever uh, the like Fortnite hangout area yeah whatever it was it was like a little fenced off That's, area um, that that area is usually there's usually something there uh every year for e3 uh there was in 2017 when i went for my first time um I, I don't know if I would say it's gotten bigger. I don't know if I'm the best authority on that. You would have to get someone much more, you know, storied than me. But uh, uh, I think Fortnite did okay. Uh, there was plenty of – they had their Pro-Am tournament there before the actual Pro-Am at the World Cup. And, yeah, it, it's another one of those things of, like, it's being held off-site – it's probably coordinated with E3, but I don't know if they're going to like pull in as much money because like the city is probably taking another bite out of that uh, budget, right? And yeah, I, I think that's another example of like if you see an event outside of E3, that means there's not something inside of E3. So who knows? And I mean, Microsoft at the very least, like they have that whole theater just like right next door. So it's like, hey, we don't exactly. have to pay rent on this place, so we're we're going to use that. Yeah, we have Keanu Reeves, bitches. <laughs> but but like there was one that was branded like GameSpot. like this is hey this is like a media kind of focused thing like we're gonna, like they had greg miller they had kind of funny people like up on the stage right. and they had like a they like lineup of like different people coming up i think like the what's good games uh are you talking about the there. um so you're still talking about the outside venue or because they did have an yeah. in, they did have an inside venue where they were doing yeah i'm sure they had a stage stuff. and stuff too but yeah. yeah they had a they had an outside one and so like it's not just uh publishers and developers you know paying for floor space like obviously like a lot of media folks uh pay for floor space and i feel like like as damaging as it would be for like a a single huge publisher like sony or microsoft or nintendo to say like hey we're we're ghosting we're pulling out um i feel like it would be equally as damaging and i mean you've you've said this as well because it could be a ripple effect but like if the entirety of GameSpot was just like we're not going like we're not sending anyone we're not going to put anyone's you know personal information at risk we're just we're or if if it, you know you can expand it out a little bit further like just cbsi just says we're not sending anyone from any of the labels we own we don't we're not saying anyone from giant bomb we're not saying anyone from GameSpot. we're not saying anyone and then like that's just like like a whole like just one huge media company out for however much floor space they're paying for however much x y or z like just that's gone and that could that could create a domino effect yeah it, very it, it certainly could and um i i know that I know that leadership of various organizations is not happy with this and it, it'll be next year. Yeah. It'll be a kind of a put up or shut up moment, I'm sure. But, um, my, my thought about that would probably be that like, you think about like IGN has a war room and GameSpot has a war room, uh, where like 90% of their staff is probably working at any given moment, video people, social, writers editors uh all the stuff and it's funny uh like aiden and i got to work in the war room for like two or three days straight and you uh it's funny how much of the beast gets fed right there in that room so do like and they all the while i don't know how GameSpot managed it they actually had a their war room was inside the convention center IGN was outside but IGN had a, a driver taking people from like a meetup point and driving them over to the studio so they could like do an interview on the couch, right? And you could you you could do that pretty well. Like IGN's not paying ESA to have that war room two blocks from the show. They might have to like do something to get that live stream. And well, actually, no, they wouldn't because it's it's going to friggin' YouTube. But 
uh, yeah, I, I, I would imagine that like you could still do 75% of the job of an E3 from the studio, you know, uh, cause it's live stream. You can get, you can still get a sizable number of interviews, assuming you've, you know, done the legwork and organized them and got people to the studio. And you can even still do a lot of like demo stuff, uh, by getting people into the, the office or just sending people to the hotel, you know, cause I did, I did the John wick hex preview in a hotel, uh, it's own independent thing. And yeah, I, I don't know if the ESA has got to be bleeding money and I don't think that they're going to make enough of it back from the media organizations enough to justify their continued existence. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, we did most of our, our stuff, at least on our first day with, with Khalif, uh, we did all of our interviews and stuff um, off site, and we were going to do all of them off site. But then we got offered like a a, a media room uh, on the floor, and so we we oh, wow. decided to go with that. Which which then led to the problem of hey, I don't have a press pass. How am I getting on? And and we were able to to solve that. But um, then because of that, in a roundabout way, I assume I wasn't affected by it by the uh, the leak. Um, but yeah, it's 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 terrible because I mean, like you know, all the freelancers that you know they 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 work remote. They don't put the address of like whoever they're freelancing right. for. Yep. They put their home addresses, and and they could be directly if if they say something that you know is a little bit too spicy or you know spicy in terms of like the games sphere because like you know people having an opinion about epic exclusivity is too spicy for some gamer folks for you know players not not people in the media and like that could, that could again, like create threats that the ESA is not going to be like, they're not going to, that's not their responsibility. In, uh, I mean, it's their responsibility to take the, the PR blowback, but they are not like, they're putting people's lives yeah. at risk potentially. Imagine it's funny. We honestly all should have seen this coming um, <laughs> because what happened in 2017, that was my first year going. Um, and that was the first year that the public was allowed on the show. Uh, the Los Angeles Convention Center and ESA E3 organizers were not prepared, and and the companies, the private companies there, you know, showing their wares, uh, organized the show as if it was just going to be media again, um, with maybe like one public day, uh, and that deluge of people uh, was overwhelming uh, LACC security just dramatically for those first couple of days, they kind of began to, to solve things on like day three of that year. They had more guards stationed and whatnot, but those first couple of days you could walk in to the uh, show floor with, I'm trying to think, I don't remember if I don't, I don't remember if there was a like pat down security station outside of the uh, like entrance to the building. Um, I know for sure that at least on the first two days, there was barely any security leading from like the foyer to the actual entrance of the show floor where it opens up and you see all the big displays and whatnot. And so you could walk in there with like a goddamn duffel bag full of like several rifles and who would stop you? Uh, kid, there were two kids on Reddit who talked about, uh, we snuck into the back cause we wore all black, like the food service people. And we just walked around with a food cart and no one questioned us. And honestly, I'm shocked that we didn't, there, there was an outrage about that, rightfully so. But the fact that we trusted ESA with jack shit, uh, after that is probably partially on us. Um, yeah, just security clearly forethought, not one of their strengths is, have you been to any of the PAXs, uh, PAX West 2016 and, I remember correctly security not amazing but like at least you had to zero well i uh did you go to pax west 2016 as well no i I went to last year i went to to pax west in 2018 okay so it was bad too well it was immediately after the jacksonville shooting and so everyone was was very nervous about going to a large public event after in the wake of that and i i've before that i had only ever been to pax south and pax east and pax east uh, that convention center is pretty locked down ever since the the Boston Marathon bombing. They are pretty uh, diligent about checking through everyone's security, checking your bag, putting you through metal detectors. If anything gets set off in the metal detectors, they wand you, etc. Um, Pack South, a little more 
loose, but not by much. It's still like walk through this terminal, metal scanner, put your put your bags and everything in your pocket in the in on the side. We're gonna go through it. Pax West was nothing. It was nothing. And I think they put a statement out before the convention started, it was like in in wake of the the unfortunate Jacksonville shootings, we will up security, we will have more stringent security measures. And I think all that extended to was I walked inside and there's kind of like, you know, that landing that's like at the front of the corner of the convention center, like across from like where the Cheesecake Factory is or whatever. And it kind of has like, it steps up into like where the escalators escalators are. Yeah. 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 I walked into that opening area and it was just like, you know, a standard canvas or vinyl banner and just said, see something, say something. Yeah. Call the, you know, Washington State Convention Center like security at this number. And I'm like, okay, cool. Yes, I feel much safer now. Yeah, no, I, uh, where Twitch had a uh, shooting threat that was serious enough that the San Francisco PD had to respond to it. And that is a like 10 or 15 minute walk from the IGN office down there, even closer to the uh, GameSpot office because that's further on. Uh, It's like on fifth or something? uh, Yeah, uh, second or something. But, um, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I send that to my mom and I'm like, Hey, that's, that's really fucking close to where a lot of people I care about work. Uh, I, I, I need y'all to know that like, this is an issue that impacts my career line too. And then, and, and people who share my career. So, yeah. Um, did we ever, do we ever hear a reasoning for that? The, uh, uh, not so much as I saw. Um, they have an investigation unit, uh, last I saw, and I can only imagine like a lot of an- other anonymous threats, uh, they'll, they may not pull up anything. So, um, we kind of just had discussions kind of alluding to another topic we wanted to talk about, but, uh, last weekend there were the, uh, two unfortunate mass shootings that, that happened, Dayton, Ohio and El Paso, Texas. And, um, it was... I feel like, obviously, like those uh, events are the most tragic. Like those are terrible, and like they only they only affect the games industry tangentially uh, in in the aftermath. But I feel like between that and the ESA stuff and uh, the Ooblets thing was the thing kind of I was the most uh, focused on because <laughs> right. I was kind of like closest to the ground on that, like paying attention to their Discord or whatever. I feel like it was. Last week it was just a bad weekend. It was just it was a bad time, just kind of across the board for everyone. Not a not a great example of hey, this is the beauty of the games community. We're not a bunch of uh, violent pack animals, and it turns out you know there's there's enough people online at least that uh, can send enough violent threats to two indie developers probably making pennies on their game. Uh, to, to make those people genuinely fearful for their life and like have to uh, have Epic, one of the biggest companies out there right now for gaming and, and tech, uh, issue a statement saying like, yo, this shit is not cool. We condemn this and uh, we understand that this will probably be a part of like our, our, our business culture for a while, but like we, we will not tolerate it uh, to the extent that we can. And... Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of funny messages from people saying like, "I'll never buy this game now." Uh, you were never going to buy Ooblets. Let's let's <laughs> let's be honest here. Come on, you, man. you didn't know what a Ooblet was before <laughs> before before last weekend. Ooblet, can I kill it? No, then I don't care. This yeah, dance 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 offs. No, not not interested. But yeah, so like there was also the 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 two shootings, and in, in the wake of that, uh, we had the the standard uh, um, kind of right wing. Uh, line of like oh it's not guns it's violent video games or it's xyz it's it's a mental health crisis it's a mental health issue um which is shitty in its own right because it's it's puts the onus on on people affected with uh mental health issues and it's every time i see a, a violence in video games thing i thought like we had like put this in the ground with jack thompson's legal career right. like i thought like that was it was done i thought we were done are we not done so in effect yes we're done and uh 
let, let's state the obvious here. Um, at, I, I, I included this in our little planning doc. Rowan Kaiser at GamesB had a really great piece that uh, I feel perfectly illustrated. This is called The Video Game Industry Must Stand Up Against the Rights Bad Faith Attacks. Let's not kid ourselves. Blaming real-world violence on video games is a distraction. It is a cheap, shitty way to distract media and the common masses from addressing the actual tangible issues that allow someone like the Texas shooter or the Ohio shooter to kill upwards of 10, 15, 20 people in what the span of minutes. It is a strategy to reduce the oxygen that we can use. Imagine if instead of writing the nine millionth op-ed about uh, the, the statistics show, actually, that video games don't prove violence. Who are we writing that for? And I get that, like, it's still important to write that, and it's still good to do that. And I think IGN and uh, this piece by Rowan Kaiser at GamesBeat um, did a really good job of, Dan Stapleton wrote IGNs, I believe. They did a really good job of saying, okay, here's the statistics. We've all seen this before. We've all heard this before. Let's all acknowledge that this is dumb and a waste of time. And the real issue we should be addressing is access to guns, uh, the the insane ac- amount of access to guns in America. And uh, if you want to get granular about it, okay, maybe mental illness. Uh, even even blaming mental illness is, at least in the the context of these two shootings, seems to be a sh- cheap, shitty distraction. Because you're not crazy if you drive 600 miles across Texas to go to a Walmart that's trafficked by a lot of Mexicans and try to kill them specifically. That's hate. That's something that was bred inside you uh, and that was influenced upon you uh, by other people with with similar hate in their their hearts and minds or a strategy uh, in their political ploy. We're not going to solve this if we keep like using our oxygen to address the dumb, obvious distractions that uh, President Donald Trump and shitty politicians like Lindsey Graham wants to. Um, so the the sooner we can, uh, the sooner we can use that oxygen to point out access to guns and uh, and the more obvious issues, the better. I say. Yeah, I agree. It's it's very um usually when this discussion crops up, it kind of goes away pretty soon and we're only a week out from it. So I mean like it's it could be a a non-starter like like you said people could put their pieces out and talk about statistics and everything. But there seems to be a very weird trend happening with um with this with this current one. So like like I know in the in the past, um, like this issue has already kind of been brought up to President Trump's uh, uh, put across his desk. Um, I know the ESA showed him the same chart that like Vox and and other outlets are showing. It was like, all right, here's the amount of game sales you know per country across the world. All right, and here are gun deaths in those same countries, and like obviously like the largest purchaser is like China and I think it's South Korea. And then I think we're third um, for games and then gun deaths, like we're off the charts and then it's barely registrable for any of the other countries. And I think he saw this back in like, um, let's say like the Parkland shootings, I think, or something. And basically they just put him in front of him and he looked at him and he was like, yeah, there's no, there's no correlation. Um, but then we're back. We, we've kind of fallen back into this cause we need an easy scapegoat and an easy kind of talking point for this stuff. But, uh, What's weird to see is this first the Walmart reaction, which apparently is was misinterpreted a little bit. So obviously they they took they took the uh, the signage down for their games and advertising violent games um, while still selling guns. Like because of course they got to yep. still sell their guns. Like weren't you know were you kidding? It was like that's a red butter. Um, and then there was a uh, uh, a report going around that they were ceasing sales on violent games. Like at all and there were pictures like going around of like certain walmart stores it was like oh there's like walmart and madden are the only things in in the in the shelves right, right. now 
and then apparently they they put a statement out and said like no this is temporary this is like in response this was um, to like this was matt kim at ign doing a lot of this reporting um earlier today and he's he's had a shit day as a result <laughs> i bet um it's not his fault that there was this miscommunication. Um, you can see the statements he sent to uh, Walmart, or the, the questions rather that he sent to Walmart PR, and two or three times separately they they reiterated whatever the the corporate stance was. We're doing this out of respect for the the victims of the shootings, et cetera, et cetera. And Matt did his best to say, "Hey, we're not asking about the advertisements. We're asking about like, is it true that you guys are not selling games or, vi- or like not selling games as opposed to advertising games in your store? Because uh, a couple of people on Twitter were posting, yeah, pictures of, uh, yeah, like three games on a shelf where like fifty would have been uh, yesterday, and. Walmart quickly called Matt after the story went up and said, we're sorry, that was a miscommunication and it's just shitty all around. Um, so uh, definitely like not Matt Kim's fault. Uh, he did the absolute best job he could and Walmart just had right. like a shitty communication job there. Yeah, I think I think he did his due diligence on, on that story. Um, and it's. But even even that much like the, the Walmart pulling games down temporarily is a you know tacit agreement with with the current stance um in the uh the current presidential administration and then i saw the uh report that espn is not running that apex legends tournament which for walmart not to do something about this i understand because walmart i feel like as a as a company as institution kind of always is trying to curry favor with with you know the uh, conservative part of america um, the wider part of America and, but to see ESPN do it really kind of like set off some warning lights in my head because it's like this, this, as we were talking about with things like, you know, E3 and ESA, like domino effects happening, domino effects happening, like this could in itself create a domino effect where it's like, okay, well, one major company is, is pulling back and, and saying like in this, in this implicit acknowledgement, it's like, oh, well maybe it's the game's fault. And then ESPN like, well, we don't want to show you know, this violent game, because maybe it's the game's fault. And I understand, like, being restrictive with what you show in the wake of a, a mass shooting. Like, you saw things like New York Comic Con, like, didn't have a Punisher panel or didn't show a Punisher trailer in the wake of a mass shooting. And I totally get that. But um, with the current conversation happening, it seems weird and dangerous to do something like that, where it can fan the flames of, like, a certain... Uh, um, platform and idea being kind of pushed through the public mindset. Yeah. Like you said, Walmart, whether it wants to be or not, is synonymous with, um, more conservative policy. Uh, you know, of course it's, it's run by some of the richest billionaires in the world. So it makes sense in a way that they are, attempting to corroborate uh, the president's statements and then Republicans' statements. So like, okay, sucks and is really dumb and still like a, an issue we should all care about. But yeah, ESPN slash ABC slash Disney. Disney. Um, yeah. Doing that. And let's not kid ourselves. Disney is as much a, a supporter of uh, President Trump. They, they've donated hundreds of thousands, if not millions. Um, yeah, it's one, the subject material of like Apex Legends. It's a quirky, colorful battle royale shooter that honestly isn't like any more violent really than uh, Fortnite, unless maybe you like count some of the execution moves that are like, you know, usually played up for laughs in the first place. Uh, if you're EA or Respawn, of course, you have to be pissed because you've probably devoted months of your life to getting this organized. And that's a big deal. Like ESPN, I don't think ESPN even showed uh, Evo on its channel this year. And that's a big deal. Like Evo had a really big, had the biggest year ever. It was great. great. Um, But to get Apex Legends on there probably took a lot of work and a lot of money. And they're probably going to, they're probably going to, they have, they probably have the legal grounds to ask ESPN and ABC to, make good on the loss of their investment. Yeah, um, yeah it, it, it's a tacit endorsement of the bullshit that is getting spoon-fed to us. And you would hope 
that anyone in charge of a media company that is responsible for more and more and more of what we consume as Americans could be like, okay, if this were like the day after, maybe. But this is like five or six days removed, uh, if not more. And it's a video game tournament. It's the... Its existence is a counteract against the bullshit that Republicans will be trying to right. feed us, right? Yeah. It's a celebration of of, of camaraderie right. and, and competition right. and, and people coming together. Like, I mean, the FGC during Evo was very much championing that line as well. It's like, hey, this we are a community, we are we are we are a, a friendship, we are we are a group of people that come together to to celebrate what we enjoy and celebrate each other. Um and yeah, I just, I don't know, like I said, the Walmart thing, I kind of shrugged at, and then the ESB, ESPN thing, I kind of like, kind of, it raised some eyebrows and made me kind of nervous, and so I don't know what, like, I'm curious what the next week's going, like, if there's another thing that happens where it's like, I, I, I don't know where, like, major companies, major media outside of games, like, in games themselves intersect a lot, but if there's another opportunity... It'd be it'd be it'd be very weird. It'd be weird if it like then turned into like a non-violent game. It'd be weird if like there was like a oh we canceled like a a Super Mario something or other thing that we were going to showcase in Wake of the Shooting. Right? Like, could you could you imagine? It, it's the fact that it's happening to Apex. Like, it's a big deal. But could you imagine something like this happening to the Fortnite World Cup? Um, and if they had like a broadcast contract with uh, uh, ESPN, the, I feel like the fervor, of course, would be uh, way, way bigger because, of course, Fortnite is super synonymous with it's the it's the monolith to be right now. But uh, <laughs> don't let Josiah hear you. Yeah, <laughs> don't 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 smack talk those EA properties. <laughs> I play more Apex Legends than him. Thank you very much. Uh, we're we're an Overwatch family up in this household. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> in this house, we play Overwatch. Yeah. <laughs> but no, uh, as we as we kind of like, I guess, begin to wrap this topic of conversation up. Let's just reiterate that uh, Republicans are full of shit. We all know they're full of shit. Uh, I don't care if you identify as a conservative voter, you know they're full of shits. At least when it comes to this topic, you can have whatever opinions you want about so much else. Um, violence in America is the way it is because we have an incredible access to guns and no other country has this problem to the degree that we have this problem. And yet China and South Korea and the UK play as many, if not way, way more games than we do. Um at some point, this is going to hit you. This is going to hit your family. We already have people who say, oh, yeah, I survived one mass shooting, and last week I was in my second mass shooting. We've seen that story multiple times now. It's, it's. I don't know how we get there, um, but it's going to begin with everybody calling their senator and yelling at them. And ideally, uh, their senator is a Republican who, uh, you know, will will listen to reason, even though the odds might be against us in that respect. Uh, or is in a swing state. In a swing state, yeah. Um, vote in different senators. Vote in different congressmen. Uh, go knocking on door-to-door, uh, no matter what your political beliefs may be. And uh, ideally, we'll get past this excuse of video games causing violence uh, as a reflex hopefully people will be just like the uh what was that that funny viral video going around of the guy in the green shirt laughing at two uh like maga hat wearing trump supporters who are yelling some nonsense conspiracy theories about illegal immigrants at a town hall and everyone's like boo you're an idiot like you suck and the guy in the front just laughing his ass off at them hopefully that will become the default reaction to a politician saying something as stupid as video games are uh, a cause of mass gun shootings. I definitely agree. And I, I certainly agree with, with being politically active and aware and, and trying to, um, trying to grasp the levers of change to promote, um, healthier and, and better change in, in our country. I think that's a, a good message to, to promote Joseph. 
use that anger. Let that anger uh, uh, fuel your feet and, and get some doors knocking and some phones calling and uh, make change happen. Don't sit on your couch this year. <laughs> please, please don't. Please don't. Or next year. Or the only next reason year. you should be sitting on your couch is because you're playing games. So get out, get yeah. out there, kids. And violent game. No, just play whatever <laughs> games you want. Um, Joseph, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Um, I think I think we went to we went into a lot of difficult conversations on this episode, but I think they were productive and, and informative and important. Yeah, man. No, thank you. And uh, thank you for giving me a platform to uh, uh, get political, which is as anyone who loves me or knows me or hates me uh, is something I'm, I'm pretty passionate about and can get pretty uh, uh, intense about. And um, yeah, this is uh, this was a good recording. And thank you so much. And hope everyone enjoyed this conversation. And uh, thank you again. man. Of course, of course. And I especially appreciate your um, your. Um uh, focusing on highlighting the the bylines of, of the articles we brought up. I think that's always an important mm-hmm. thing to do, making sure that the people that put the work into to writing the headlines and the articles that, that we choose to showcase in our respective shows and, and what we talk about online, um, that's that's always important. And uh, I should do it more myself. Hey. And sometimes I, I, I struggle with that. But I want to thank you for doing that. Yeah, no, support your writers. Uh, uh, Kofi... KO-FI is a thing uh, and we should all chip in a dollar to folks right. like uh, Matt Kim or Rowan Kaiser or what have you. I agree. Um, and we want to support you, Joseph. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Joseph Noop. That's J-O-S-E-P-H-K-N-O-O-P. The 1099 Podcast is on Twitter at the 1099 podcast. And uh, the 1099 itself is on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, uh, Google Play, and some others that I probably don't even remember exist. It filters out uh, automatically, and Josiah has the back end shit. So it's it's very weird how it does that. Sometimes you're just right? like, oh, I, right? I'm now on this this platform. Okay, all right, I guess. Right? Um, um, and Player FM. Okay. And yeah, uh, and you can find, uh, you know, I, I've got some big features. Like I mentioned the Tony Hawk one coming out. So if you have made it this far in the podcast, uh, please give that one a read when it comes up. And uh, sure. I always appreciate uh, people talking to me about uh, shop. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, if you have any pieces you want to showcase, send them to me. I can put them in the show notes for you. And then when that Tony Hawk one comes out, I can I can add that one as well. Um. And I am at Dylan Alvento on Twitter. And then if you like this podcast, you want to listen to any of our other podcasts, you can find them at ward-games.com forward slash podcast or on Twitter at Ward Video Games or on your respective podcast app of choice. I, we're probably we're not on Spotify. So I'm sorry, Spotify listeners. Um, I still need to go through the process of doing that. It's okay. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only guy who uses Google Play Music. So <laughs> yeah, we're definitely on there. We're definitely on there. Um, and uh, but you can find you can find Wardcast anywhere on there. Just search for them. And then we're also uh, taking questions, taking taking discussions. Uh, we have a Discord. You can find that on the Twitter account. And if you want to contact us for any questions about the show, if you want to continue a conversation, you can find them. You can just email us at contact at Ward Games. Joseph, thank you again. I wish you good luck and good fortune with future 1099 episodes. Thank you, man. Much appreciated. Best of luck to you. Thanks, man. Until next time.